We're in 2 Timothy, and I invite you to turn there in your Bibles with me as we continue, actually conclude this series uh, about leading in Christ. And uh, Paul is in prison. He's in Rome. He uh, is writing his last letter to a man named Timothy, who was a pastor in a church in Ephesus. This is someone Paul uh, discipled and included on his missionary journeys. And uh, this is the last letter we get from Paul before his uh, sent his trial and sentencing, and then his beheading right outside of the city of, city of Rome. So this has tremendous importance to us. This is kind of his life all boiled down and encapsulated into a final encouragement and exhortation to advance the gospel. And uh, we've learned up to this point that it really is all about God's transforming power in our lives. It's about us being used in our generation to advance the gospel. It's about us leaving a godly legacy in the lives of people around us. It's about us now enduring through suffering, being confident in trials and hopeful with impending death because we have Jesus. And it's all about Jesus. That's our life. And because we have Jesus, we have everything we need for this life. Because we have the gospel... We've been given the command to advance the gospel through our lives. Not just let it dead end in us, but advance it. So with that said, let's take a look at Paul's closing words to his final letter. And it's in 2 Timothy 4. I'm going to begin with verse 6. He says this. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander, the coppersmith, did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. Let's just pause there. Because Paul is modeling for us something that we all need. He's giving us the why we do everything we do for the kingdom of God. Why we advance the gospel. Why are we in this world? Why? What's our purpose here? And I've always wanted to know that. Of course, uh, you know, growing up when my mom would say, Joe, you need to cut the grass. I would go, why? You know, we like to know why. I grew up in the church and when churches kind of just did their thing, keeping people happy on a Sunday morning, I'd always go, why am I here? What is this church all about? I've always been someone, and I think you are too. We all want to know why we're doing things, not just doing things rotely and getting into rituals and getting into traditions without meaning. We like meaning. And Paul's going to define for us our true meaning, why we're here in the first place. And think about it. He's in this prison. He's in this dungeon in Rome. And he's about to be put to death. 
And, and I remember um, a ministry leader in my life named Ben Hayden would always say, guys, you don't know how to live until you know how to die. That's such a valuable thing that if you can see the finish line, if you can see the finish line in your life and you've got that, what, what is that finish line going to look like? And then you can reverse engineer your life. That's a healthy thing to do. So what Paul is going to teach us to do is how to finish well. We all want to know that. How do we finish well? And he equates his life to a fight, a race, and then a treasure. Let's look at that first one in verse 7 of chapter 4. He says, I have fought the good fight. Think about that. The gospel by its very nature confronts evil. It confronts evil in us and confronts evil around us. And therefore, when we're... When we have the gospel, we have the goodness of God. And the goodness of God is always at battle right now with the evil of this world. So if you're going to be a person who advances the gospel, you are going to fight. You're going to fight. Now, scriptures tell us, and Paul would write to uh, others in the past, and he would say, and even Peter would say, don't just fight as Christians, okay? Don't be, and this is my paraphrase, don't be jerks and just get into fights because you're disagreeable. And that's many times how the world views us, is we just like to fight. We're negative. We, we're Bible thumpers. We, we just don't, you know, love people. And Paul says, no, you're going to be persecuted if you pursue the gospel. Anyone who commits themselves to a godly life will be persecuted. Paul said that. But don't just fight. Fight for the goodness of God. And uh, therefore, he's, he's calling us into this whole picture. As, as he's mentioned to Timothy before, like in 1 Timothy, his first letter, chapter 6, verse 12, he says this. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And then in 2 Timothy, in chapter 2, he says this, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted to him. Here, you're going to have opposition. You're going to have the enemy around you seeking to defeat and destroy you. However, Paul says, fight focused. Fight in a way that you please the Lord. And as those he called to fight the good fight, there were also those who deserted. And Paul brings that up. Look at verse 10. He says, for Demas, in love with this present world, see where the good soldier doesn't get involved in civilian affairs. Demas got involved in civilian affairs. He got, he got more focused of what, how his life could be in this present world than how Christ could be advanced through his life. He deserted. He deserted Paul and he went to Thessalonica. Christians went to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And, and here's this picture. We could get a picture from Paul where he's incarcerated. He's seen as an enemy of Rome. He's tried and sentenced to death and he dies. And we can go, boy, he lost it all. He lost it all for the gospel. He could have been such an astute preacher. He could have been a great leader and advanced it. But no, he's killed. He's killed and, and his ministry can't go on anymore. Or really? Or really? Was God done when Paul died? Because the reality is, is although Paul looks defeated and even in a short time will die for his faith, because we can now hear his words, 
2,000 years later, he wins. He wins. Paul fought the good fight and he won. And that's why we name our sons Paul and our dogs and cats Nero. Because his fight won. His fight won. We admire him. We look up to him. We want to be like him. We want to advance the gospel like him. Because he fought the good fight. Have you ever thought about the fight in your life? Some of you have just gotten in contact with the gospel. And you realize it's not about works. It's all about the gift of God through Jesus Christ. His work on the cross. Some of you are so relieved. You finally are no longer living like the law. Living with rules and regulations where you thought, I've got to go to church to be a good person. I've got to be a nice person so that God sees that my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. And, and then he'll let me in because God helps those who help themselves. And with salvation, we realize none of us deserve this stuff. None of us could live because Jesus was perfect. We're not compared with each other. We're compared with Christ. And because we're compared with Christ, we need his perfection. None of us can be good enough to earn perfection. Only Jesus can give us. So when we trust Jesus, we trust in the only one who can save us. And there is a great sigh of relief when we come to Jesus. I don't have to measure up anymore. I don't have to give it an offering. I don't have to show up at church before I'm good enough. I don't have to be nice to people. Now, we want to be those things once we meet Jesus because of his goodness running through us. But think about you. I'm seeing, just as I preach now, I know some of your stories, and I'm seeing some of you rewriting history in your family. You grew up in a dysfunctional, destructive family. And you started to follow Christ now and, and you're seeing how that changes your family and you're crafting a vision for your life that goes, wow, I want to be a blessing to my children, not a burden. I want to advance the goodness of God, not the evil of this world in my family. And some of you are ending sin cycles that have just repeated themselves from generation, from great, great grandparents to great to grandparents to you. And you're ending that. You're fighting the good fight. What fight are you in right now that will leave a legacy in future generations? See, we're future generations from Paul. Because he fought the good fight in his generation, we benefit from it. We get the word of God. We get a man who said, you fight the the, the good fight. What are you fighting right now in your life? That with the victory of Jesus Christ in your life will be a blessing to family members and future future generations. I just look at that as I'm raising three boys. And I just look at the joy it's been to see Jesus win in their lives. And I think about someday when they marry. What Jesus will look like in their families. And what Jesus will look like in their children's families. Don't you want to be a part of a generation that has a legacy that echoes throughout future generations? I do. I want to fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. So Paul says, fight the good fight. And then he says this, I've finished the race. He equates his life to a race. Second Timothy 2.5, I just want to remind you, remember when he said... An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. That's shadows of an earlier statement he made to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? 
Then Paul gives the exhortation. So run that you might obtain it. He calls them into this. He calls them into the race. Just as there were those who deserted the fight, there were those who also turned away from the race. And he mentions that in the first chapter of 2 Timothy. Remember when he said, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. And then he named them, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. You see, there were those who deserted. And Paul is saying, we're all in race. We're all in a race. Stay focused on the finish line. The finish line of of winning with Christ in your life. What are you chasing? See, we're all busy. It's not an issue of whether or not we're a bit. The American culture, especially with families, we are chasing kids. Are we chasing Christ? Are we in the right race? You can be in the rat race. But are you in the right race? Because we've got sports, we've got recitals, we've got business meetings, we've got video games, we've got screens all around us vying for our attention. But we can be empty with Christ and with the gospel. Folks, we're called to be in the right race. It matters what race you're in. Paul said, I, I've finished the race. So he's calling us all to re-engage the race. Now, there's a finish line in Paul's, and that's why I want to read to you. In, the, in uh, verse 17 of chapter 4, he says, The Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. See, he wants to make the gospel known all around him. That's the finish line, that everyone would hear the gospel. That's the race. That's the finish line. Do you realize that's the same finish line for you? You're in a different world at a different time, but you still have the same gospel Paul did. That's why I said the finish line for you so that everyone around you will hear the message and the gospel is fully proclaimed through your life. I, I have that vision for Topeka. I want everyone in Topeka, actually Shawnee County, 180,000 people to hear the gospel fully proclaimed to them. How are we going to do that? With you, with you. You've been, you're going to leave this place in an hour or so. I'm not going to preach that long, but you're going to leave this place and you're going to be scattered all around this region. And that's how the gospel goes because the gospel goes with you. If you're running the race that God has set out for you. See, that's how the gospel goes. And that's why I pray that not only people would hear it, but people would respond to it. I'm praying for the the, the county, Shawnee County, that 18,000 people would trust in the good news of Jesus Christ. I need you to pray with me on that. 18,000 people would trust in Christ. It's 10% of our population. Because I believe 10% of our population currently goes to church each week. I I pray for that. And I pray that we would be the generation that would advance the gospel through our lives and that Topeka would be a different place because Jesus is in the lives of people here. See, we need to be a church who's thinking outside of ourselves to people who are in desperate need of the gospel. Because we want to finish the race. And God calls us to do that. So he equates what he does to a fight. 
to a race, and then finally to a treasure. And I, I know this isn't intuitive as the fight and the race are, but Paul is saying, I have kept the faith. A faith that he was reminded of in the life of Timothy from a heritage of faith, a legacy of faith in his life. When in 2 Timothy 1.5, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. See, he was given salvation and then he shared salvation as a gift with Timothy. It went from one life to the next. He proclaimed it and he lived it. And and he viewed it as an inheritance. Certainly the easiest thing to think about our inheritance is, is you receive something from someone who loves you. And here we have the love of God contained in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we all have the gift of eternal life through faith in what Christ has done. So when you stop trying to measure up to God and you start trusting in his work, when you stop trying to do all these good things and trust in the work that's already been done, you make that transfer. That inheritance by faith is given to you. Certainly we have eternal life and that's something, a life with God forever. But, but we also have the goodness of God in this life. Eternity begins now. It continues now. We're part of eternity right now. And our lives go on like a ray forever and ever. And we're given that. But we live right now with the inheritance of Christ. So it changes who we are. And we keep the faith. We keep the treasure of Jesus in our lives. Paul says that in, in, uh, in 2 Timothy ver- chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, he says, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed. And I'm convinced he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. He tells Timothy to follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You've been entrusted with the gospel. We're called to guard the gospel. Keep it all about grace, not about works. And advance it from your life to someone else's. That's why Jesus, when he taught about the kingdom of God, he said in Matthew 13, 44, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Why did he do that? Because he saw the value. The owner didn't even know the value of this field. Because he found the treasure that was in the field. It wasn't the field that made him sell everything. It was the treasure in the field. And he saw it of great worth. Far more a value than the property. So he makes a deal with the owner. And he enjoy. Not begrudgingly. Not of bitterness. But he willingly sells all he has. Because he found the greatest value. See that's the transfer that has to take place. When we keep the faith. Because we keep the faith first. And faith in Christ gets our first and our best, not our last and our leftovers. And we do it joyfully. We, we appraise everything in this world as less valuable than knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Everything, we keep the faith of great importance. See, we're one generation away from dropping it. 
And you can't control whether or not your children trust Christ. But you can control how you show them faith. Parents, keep the faith in your homes. It's a reality we realize here oh so importantly in everything we do with family ministries. Because we can do a one-hour program once a week for your child, but that's not enough for transformation. See, your children's program begins when they hop in your car and you take them home. And you spend all that time with them this week. On drive times, on meal times, at bedtimes. See, you're the number one spiritual influence in their lives. Don't pay the church to do that. No, you are. So we want to partner with you and equip you to do the best job you possibly can at handing that baton of faith. They need to see mom and dad keeping the faith. The people around you need to see you keep the faith through trials, through suffering, through bad news, as well as good news. Keep the faith. Paul says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And those who did not guard it, drifted and and lost what was proclaimed to them. Paul says in verse 14, Alexander, the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself. Why? Because he strongly opposed our message, strongly opposed the faith. At my first defense, no one came to me by to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But look what Paul says in verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a line there I just want to bring out. God rescued me from the lion's mouth. What does that mean? Well, it was a... Jewish figurative term that basically said we can trust in the faithfulness of God. It's traced back in Psalm when David wrote a psalm of thankfulness to God rescuing him from the lion's mouth. When Daniel praises God, it's more intuitively when literally in a lion's den, God shut the mouths of the lion. He saved him from the lion's mouth. And now with Jesus Christ, God saves us from all the, all the evil of this world and all the, the roaring lion that seeks to devour us. God protects us. And he connects to the faithfulness of God that anyone who trusted in the Lord was never let down. He was never forgotten. And that gives us faith. Because you can keep the faith because God always keeps you. You're found by God and he'll never lose you. You're his treasured possession. And you're secure in Christ. Therefore, you can face the insecurities of life, just like Paul did in a dungeon, about ready to be martyred. But his true security was that of Christ. So find him and trust him and keep him. 
and live for Christ. He's our ultimate rescue. He says, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, this is the closing lines of his finish line of his life. It's the Lord who's going to do this. It's the Lord who's going to rescue me. He he sold everything to fall on Christ. And that's our directive. How do you end well? Well, You fight the good fight every day. You finish the race. And you keep the faith. Would you just read 2 Timothy 4, 7 out loud with me? He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And now what I want you to do is personalize this. Because through this dungeon came a little letter sent to Timothy in Ephesus with a call from Paul. Will you fight the good fight? Will you finish the race? Will you keep the faith? I want you to personalize it. And if it's the state of your heart that you would accept this call, I want you to say, I will fight the good fight. I will finish the race. I will keep the faith. Say that with me. I will fight the good fight. I will finish the race. I will keep the faith. Paul says, who's in? Who's in? Who's in to fight the good fight? You can raise your hand. Who's in to finish the race? Who's in to keep the faith? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you for... Uh, coming into the battle of our lives and being the victorious leader who conquered death and lives to save and rescue each one of us. Help us to fight the good fight. Help us to finish the race. Help us to be a generation that's known for keeping the faith and transferring it to everyone around us. That everyone around us might hear the gospel fully proclaimed to the honor and praise and glory of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For it's in his name I pray. Amen.